0: Thanks for choosing a 3CR podcast. Throughout June 2021, we're running our annual Radiothon when we ask you, the listener, to make a donation so that we can continue to make great radio. Your donation will help keep us community-owned and community-controlled. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash donate. And with that done, please enjoy your podcast.
1: Well, good afternoon, listeners. This is the DOGS program. The Australian Council for Defence of Government Schools are here every week, and we also are here with our introduction, which is the fanfare for the Common Man, because we are about the common good and public education in Australia. And um, we've got a pretty full uh, program for you. Uh, some of it's topical, some of it goes to America, and we hope that you will find it of interest. Uh, we have a press release, 897, which is at our website, www.adogs.info. Whether or not public teacher vaccinations in the pandemic, how much do we value our teachers and our students? And uh, because it's NAIDOC week, we thought we'd better talk Give you some information on the uh, Australian curriculum for First Nations and what their experts have to say. Um, Maddie is going to take us over to America, where they have a very similar situation to us with charter schools. These are for-profit schools. Um, they are private schools which are systematically undermining the public education system there in the same way as the private schools are undermining the public education system in Australia. And, of course, it all gets back, as we all know, to where the big money is and the big money is in the public treasury. Uh, These charter schools, like the the private schools of Australia, a bit like Scrooge McBuck, they're very happy to be in with all the really, really big, big money, the big money bank, the public treasury. Uh, Sorrell has got a very interesting uh, part to read to us. It's from the the Americans United for Separation of Church and State. People seem to think that the dogs are anti-religion. We're not. Uh, But we are anti-religion and the state getting together because bad things happen when that happens. And we've seen that in America recently where people who call themselves Christians were prepared to storm the capital uh, in Washington. But there are a group of Christian pastors who have decided that enough is enough and who believe that Christian nationalism is a distortion of the gospel. So Sorrell going to tell us about that. And then Maddie has a great state school, but I won't tell you what it is at the moment. We'll leave it to Maddie. But it is a very interesting and quite special state school because it's one that Mr Kennett wanted to close in the 1990s and it didn't close. The people out in this area really fought for their school and they saved it and it has gone on to really very interesting and great things. But that's enough from me. Over to Oliver, who will lead off with our press release public teacher vaccinations in the pandemic, how much do we value our teachers and students?
2: Thank you, Jean. We start off with the question, are public school teachers essential frontline workers in the pandemic who should be given vaccination priority? The coalition governments, federal and state, are gradually being forced to recognise their central role in keeping the society and economy economy afloat. The Australian Education Union, Victorian branch, however, is still calling on the federal government to prioritise the vaccination of education staff. Unfortunately, as yet, from the Morrison government, there has been no decision to prioritise the vaccination of education workers. Since the very beginning of the pandemic, they have encouraged members and the broader community to adhere to restrictions and to follow public health advice. This has helped ensure the safety of teachers, support staff and principals, as well as the safety of students and their families. This continues to be the AEU's position and in line with public health advice, they are encouraging staff in all education settings to get a COVID-19 vaccination as soon as they're eligible. They acknowledge that community members who are the most vulnerable to COVID-19 must continue to be prioritized as well as workers in priority groups. However, there is an immediate need to broaden the eligibility of priority groups to include education staff. Unless education staff are able to have priority access to a vaccine, we continue to be at risk of more disruptions. Earlier this year, the AEU wrote to the federal and state health ministers seeking that all education workers in schools, kindergartens, TAFE and disability services be considered a priority group for the COVID-19 vaccination. Prioritising these essential workers for vaccination would be an effective way to reduce the disruptions and inevitably rise during periods of lockdown. While the research is still in its preliminary stages, it appears that the Delta variant is more transmissible across all age groups, including children. In countries with high vaccination rates amongst the older age groups, such as Israel and the United Kingdom, infections in children and young people are fueling a third wave. Now, Dale will tell you some more.
3: Thank you, Oliver. Yes, unfortunately, there's been no federal or Victorian state decision to prioritise the vaccination of education workers. And in this, Australia is falling behind many other countries in the world, except the UK. School teachers have been prioritised for COVID-19 vaccination in many nations around the world, including the USA and most of Europe. Unlike Australia, Many nations around the world treat teachers as frontline workers, including most of continental Europe and North America. That's not the case in the United Kingdom, where the Delta variant has seen 150 outbreaks within schools. In the UK, there has been an increase in hospital admissions in young people with Delta. That was brought home At a local level, yesterday, when New South Wales health authorities revealed that a 16-year-old boy is now critically ill with the virus in a Sydney ICU, New South Wales Chief Health Officer Dr Kerry Chant described the news as a salient lesson that that the virus can affect anyone, regardless of their age. Also among the growing number of people in ICUs in the state are people aged in their 20s, 30s and 40s. Yet vaccinations for younger age groups in Australia remains months away with authorities saying they hope to open up the Pfizer vaccine to those under 40 by September. For those under 18, the last category set to be vaccinated according to the federal government's rollout schedule, that date is even further off. Uh, Back to you, Oliver.
2: Thank you, Dale. The latest outbreak in New South Wales and the introduction of the Delta variant into Australia, however, has heightened the vulnerability of public school teachers and the inadequacies of the coalition response. There are growing calls for teachers to be given priority access to COVID-19 vaccinations amid concerns the Delta variant could create a tinderbox situation within schools. New South Wales Teachers Federation member Melissa Stevens said, said that teachers have felt taken for granted for the past 18 months of the pandemic, as state leaders insist schools remain safe for students, but little is done to protect at-risk staff. We've been asked to show up, stay at work, to stay with our students, stay face-to-face. We understand those things are important, and yet no priority has been given, she told the Weekend Today this morning. New South Wales Teachers Federation member, Alyssa Stevens, is calling for teachers to get priority when it comes to receiving the COVID-19 vaccination. We're classed in the general public in terms of getting vaccinations, Ms. Stevens said she she registered for her COVID-19 vaccination back in May as Pfizer was opened up to over 40s, but is still waiting for the first available appointment in three weeks' time. But many of her colleagues are facing an even longer wait unable to find an available appointment until September. That's the end of the t- next term. That's 10 weeks away, she said. That's a bit concerning. Similar calls for priority vaccination have also come Northern Territory Branch and Queensland Teachers Union. While in New South Wales, school students have been on holidays for the past fortnight and are set to learn from home this week. There are concerns uh, There are concerns a return to the classroom currently scheduled for July 19th see a tinderbox situation as the delta variant continues its spread through greater sydney teachers are in quite close proximity to 30 students an hour miss stephen said it might be six lessons in a day six periods in a day that's 180 students schools are busy places and there are lots of other adults as well in that space social distancing isn't always practical or appropriate particularly for people working with younger students Already, there were a number of clusters within schools at the end of term two, which saw fellow students and staff infected, including a mystery case in a nine-year-old in Sydney's east. Back to you now.
3: Thank you. Yes, uh, there has been some success. Uh, This is from Connor Burke in the Education Review. Uh, The New South Wales Teachers Federation has had some success in gaining recognition for the essential work of New South Wales public school teachers. Uh, the news has recently come through that 10,000 teachers in southwest Sydney are to be prioritised in the vaccine rollout. More than 10,000 teachers in COVID-19 plagued southwest Sydney are said to be prioritised in the state's vaccine rollout, the state government announced on Monday. More than 10,000 teachers and school staff in south- southwestern Sydney's areas of COVID concern will have priority access to the rollout. The vaccine hub will begin operating at Fairfield Showground by Friday, the 16th of July to vaccinate teachers and aged care workers. Minister for Education and Early Childhood Education Sarah Mitchell welcomed the move and encouraged teachers to take advantage of this opportunity. I'm thrilled that teachers are being prioritized for vaccination in the areas of Fairfield, Canterbury Bankstown and Liverpool local government areas, Ms Mitchell said. Vaccinating teachers is something I have been advocating for both with my colleagues and also publicly.
1: Well, she couldn't have been very she couldn't have been very powerful in the cabinet as minister for education, could she? No. Because it, it takes a big red spot of Delta variant in the southeast of, of Sydney, southwest of Sydney, to actually get some action. And this is, this is well over a year. Well, it's a year and six months, isn't it, into the pandemic.
3: Yeah. And meanwhile, a rich private school has a clerical error that sees all of its senior students vaccinated last week.
1: That's right.
3: That's right. There's a very,
1: it's a very funny world in this pandemic, education world that we
3: live in. Yep. She goes on to say that over half our workforce are eligible for the vaccine and now teachers in areas of concern for COVID-19 transmission have priority access. The priority access extends to all staff, including teachers, administration staff and support Officers working for government and non-government schools in the designated Fairfield, Canterbury Bankstown and Liverpool local government areas. I encourage all staff who are eligible for the vaccine to get vaccinated as soon as possible and for those in impacted LGAs local government areas to take full advantage of this priority access. Ms Mitchell said eligible staff will be issued links to access a vaccine appointment, and they will need to provide proof of employment when they arrive for their vaccination. A little recognition from the New South Wales Liberal Government, hopefully not too late. Dogs suggest that Morrison has been missing in action. The uh, recognition afforded the 10,000 teachers in Sydney's current pandemic hotspot should be expected extended to all teachers and students in schools around the country.
1: Well, thank you, Dale. It's a very interesting situation, isn't it? It took it took uh, a long, long time for any kind of recognition that teachers are in the front line of this pandemic and should be regarded as essential workers. But we'll have a bit of a break now, and then we'll come back for to tell us about the First Nations curriculum.
4: You can see that this country is covered in the blood of Aboriginal people, and the length and breadth of it. Australia is a part of an undeclared war and a secret invasion, and it began 250 years ago this year. Now, we have a country that's built on lies, deceit, fraud, propaganda, and race hatred indoctrination. Now, it's been 250 years of us being oppressed in our own land, brutally. We might be oppressed, but we understand what freedom is, and we fight for it every day, and we've resisted this occupation since day one. And I predict colonialism, capitalism, imperialism is going to get knocked out cold by about mid this year.
3: 3CR, you station in struggle and solidarity
1: to donate go to 3cr.org.au. Good afternoon, listeners. We are back with the dogs program and we hope you're still with us because Dale is going to do her MADOC piece for the week because it is, after all, still MADOC week.
3: Over to you, Dale. Thank you, Jean. Yes, uh, I've got a statement um, from the uh, AEU, and it's the statement on the Australian Curriculum from First Nations Experts on Education. Uh, The AEU is proud to support the statement below on the Australian Curriculum from First Nations Experts on Education issued to the media. More than 150 Indigenous education experts and practitioners who together represent 2,168.5 years of teaching experience, have issued a statement responding to mistruths in relation to the Australian Curriculum Review. The AEU supports the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cross-curriculum priority and the inclusion of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander perspectives in to the mandatory key learning areas and non-mandatory content elaborations. All students should have the opportunity to learn about the unique first cultures of this land, including the cross, including cross-curriculum priority is about broadening students' perspectives and suggesting ways teachers can use content to support students to understand First Nations perspectives. Ensuring Torres Strait and Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander students have the opportunity to see themselves, their experiences reflected in the curriculum is also a critical element of this work. We stand with the First Nations experts on education in their call to the Australian public to support the modest changes proposed in the review and encouraging supporters to make a submission to the ACARA curriculum review. Here's the statement on the Australian curriculum from First Nation expert on education that was released on the 7th of July, 2021. We, the undersigned experts in education are teachers, education support professionals, principals, early childhood educators, educators, lecturers, associate professors and professors. We are First Nations people who collectively embody a millennia of minutes thousands of hours and hundreds of decades of long, hard work in the Australian education industry. We make this statement in response to the mistruths that are being spread in some sections of the Australian media in relation to the Australian Curriculum Review, with particular reference to the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cross-curriculum priority and the modest inclusion of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander perspectives into the mandatory key learning areas and non-mandatory content elaborations. We have spent our careers in the Australian education sector working with two key objectives in mind. One, to improve the education system to ensure the best possible outcomes for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander learners, and two, to improve the education system so it ensures that all students in Australia have the opportunity to learn about the unique diversity of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures as the first cultures of this land. The attainment of these objectives for all Australian students is not just our vision, it is a vision shared by the whole nation as articulated and signed by all Australian Ministers for Education in the 2019 Mpantwe or Alice Springs Declaration, which states in its preamble, We recognise the more than 60,000 years of continual connection by the First Peoples of Australia as a key part of the nation's history, present and future. Through education, we are committed to ensuring that all students learn about the diversity of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures, and to see all young First Nations Australians thrive in their education and all facets of life. It is this vision for the Australian education system that is brought to life in classrooms every day through the mechanism of the Australian curriculum. In our expert opinion, The changes proposed in the current review of the Australian curriculum do not indigenise this version of the curriculum. In fact, the proposed changes are modest in scope and will improve the current education workforce's approach to achieving our shared objectives as a nation. In particular, they will assist teachers and educators to respond more fulsomely to the needs of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander students, parents and communities by highlighting approaches that teachers can use to make the curriculum more culturally responsive and inclusive. We further note that commentators in the Australian media are arguing that there's been an elevation of Indigenous studies throughout the curriculum. Yet these commentators have failed to mention that the majority of the proposed changes are to the non-mandatory content elaboration section of the curriculum. Content elaborations are suggested learning experiences and are designed to support teachers by providing clarity on Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander content with the aim of improving teacher responsiveness. The changes proposed in the review will contribute to both closing the gap in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander educational attainment and closing the why weren't we told gap in knowledge and understanding of the richness and diversity of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and in the teaching and learning of the shared history of our country we urged members of the Australian public to support the modest changes proposed by this review and encourage all supporters of the changes to put in a submission to the ACARA curriculum review.
1: is that interesting? Yes. Uh, so many of the generations, my generation, for example, uh, our view of, of, of the uh, Aborigines was the, the rather romantic one of the little picnities, um, and then... Shock, horror, we discovered in 1967 that they didn't even have the vote. Um, It was um, so much was, in fact, kept from us because of the way Australian history was taught. If it was taught at all, Uh, we knew the explorers, we knew about Captain Cook, we knew about Philip, but we didn't know about the 60,000 years of Indigenous history. And um, it really is an obligation of this, this generation to make sure that the next generation understands what really went on in the invasion of this country uh, in 1788. But um, thank you very much for that. And thank you for the people who have fought hard and long in the last 50 years. Uh, I have to say that whatever else our generation did, we decided that the Aborigines had to fight for themselves and we were going to put them through university. And so we set up the AbSchool Scholarship Fund and we did put them through through, um, university, but then they weren't allowed to go back and work with their people, the girls that we put through, particularly in Queensland. So it's been a long, hard road, but um, let's hope that this generation and the next generation will have more understanding of the real Australian history that they have inherited. You know it's quite confusing the cultural heritage laws in this country and that is of extreme concern to our people across this country and you know not only the jabberwong trees, there's duke and gorge and there are a number of other sacred areas of extreme significance to our peoples across the country that are being, you know, because of the cultural heritage laws that are in place, are, you know, not actually protecting
5: our
6: heritage at all. 3CR Radiothon, community-powered radio.
5: To donate, call 03 9419 8377 or donate online at 3cr.org.au.
1: We are back again and we better explain to you that the dogs are for public education and that means that we are not against private schools but we are against them getting public money and we're not against religion but we are against religion being entangled with the state and uh, in this country we got to the entanglement of church and state before America did but America's starting to imitate what's happening in Australia, with a little bit of um, a variation. Since the 1980s and globalisation, uh, wealthy people in America realised that there was money in parents who were insecure, and they set up what was called the Charter School Movement. And um, these charter chains are behaving very much like the private school sector in Australia is now, uh, has been doing all along. They are fighting audits demanded, uh, yes, they they don't want public scrutiny of their use of public money. But over to you, Maddie.
5: Absolutely. Thank you, Jean. Yes, this article by Diane Ravitch, its title is Charter Chain Fights Audit Demanded by Private Funder. And she goes on to state, I remember the original promise of charter schools when the idea was first floated in the late 1980s. They would cost less than district schools because of no bureaucracy. They wouldn't be more accountable than district schools because oh, they would be more accountable than district schools because they would lose their charter if they didn't meet their academic goals. We now know that none of this is true. Charter leaders demand the same or more funding than their public counterparts. Although many charters close every year, many low performing charters are not closed. And we now find that there is no financial accountability, that religious schools may become charters, that white flight academies may become charters and that some charter leaders pay themselves far more than district superintendents. The latest example of charter refusal to be accountable is the Cornerstone Charter Chain in Detroit, where a major donor is battling in court to see a financial audit. The donor is especially interested in a jump in the charter leader's salary from $500,000 to more than $800,000 in a two-year period following the death of the original donor. The story begins. A fisher has erupted between Clark Durant, the founder of Detroit's Cornerstone Charter Schools, and the executors of the trust and estate of the school's largest funder, the late Bill Pult Sr. Last week, Mark Pult, the son of Pult Sr and a co-trustee of the William J Pult Trust, submitted a claim, complaint of the office to the office of Attorney General Dana Nessel. In it, he called for an investigation into Durant as well as the New Common School Foundation, the NCSF, a nonprofit Durant created to raise funds for the Cornerstone Schools. A group of private religious schools he opened in the 1990s and subsequently transitioned into public charter schools. I have grown increasingly concerned that NCSF, which is ostensibly a Michigan non-profit public charity whose mission is to educate disadvantaged students, is actually operating as a for-profit entity with the primary purpose of financially benefiting Mr Durant, said Pult, whose father had donated tens of millions of dollars to the foundation over the last two decades. Uh, That was wrote in the November 30 complaint obtained by Seven Action News. Pult's complaint comes in the midst of an already tense legal battle between the trust and the foundation. In March, following a seven-action news investigation into ethical questions surrounding rental contracts between Cornerstone's public charter school boards, which Durant advises as CEO of the Cornerstone Education Group, and the NCSF, which acts as landlord as well as a charity fundraising for the schools, The trust requested an audit from the foundation. The trustees remain confounded why your client refuses their reasonable request for an audit regarding the funds they have donated to the new Common School Foundation. A trustee attorney wrote in a March 12 email to the NCSF's chairman, Jeffrey Nielsen. What do you think about that, Jean? Well, I think that that
1: they're all falling out. I think it's rather fun. Because uh, because you can actually see what is going on because the thieves in a sense are falling out. The original uh, person who who got involved and thought that he might make some money out of it has died, and his mm-hmm. son has found that the uh, the, the current um, uh, administrator is lining his pockets. But. Mm. None of this has got anything to do with education, particularly the education of the disadvantaged. And, of course, this is what we sometimes see in Australia too uh, when uh, the, the uh, actual figures go up, particularly on the Myers School website, uh, that these schools, which call themselves not-for-profit, are making fabulous profits um, at the expense of the taxpayer. But um, yeah, I think it's a it's a rather interesting uh, example, isn't
5: it? It but, is. It's um, an interesting comparison to draw between America and Australia. And I know that generally it's Australia that um, finds inspiration from America when it comes to culture. <laughs> but it is it is um, yeah, it's quite I don't know, dumbfounding. to, to Realise what
1: greed. is happening.
5: Uh, Agreed.
3: Yes. Yes. Australia certainly knows how to do it, though. That's that's for sure. The taxpayer funding three different education systems.
1: In this particular case, there were some religious schools that came under the charter um, uh, umbrella in order to get the money in the first place. But, uh, yes, sometimes uh, when religion and money and power go together, you've got a problem. So we'll have a break and uh, Sol will tell us what's also been going
0: on in America. 3CR Radiothon, show your support during June 2021. And the fossil fuel companies have known for decades what they're doing and they've made a
3: calculated decision that they think their profits, their short-term profit is worth more than the climate impacts that we face, worth more than, you know, Australia being engulfed by flames worth more than, you know, a third of the Bangladeshis having the the land that they currently live on.
5: So we we need to show them no mercy. 3CR Radiothon,
6: community-powered radio.
5: To donate, call 03 9419 8377 or donate online at 3cr.org.au.
1: Well, this is the Dogs Program, and we hope you're still with us. And if you want to find out more about us, then you can always go to our website at www.adogs.info But um, those of us who've been around since uh, last January the 6th uh, were horrified to see people, very strange-looking people, going up the steps of the Congress in Washington, D.C., they were raiding it. Uh, it was like a, a rebellion. <laughs> and some of the people were dressed in very strange uniforms. <clears throat> but others had placards that were um, of a distinctively um, Christian nature. And um, they were somehow thinking that Mr Trump was going to save us from the infidel, the Gentile, or I'm just not sure uh, just what 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 it was about. But other people who uh, are also Christian in America have actually had something to say about this. So I'll get Sol to tell you about it.
0: Thank you, Jean. Yeah, so these Americans are united for the separation of church and state, and they think that Christian nationalism is a distortion of the gospel. On January 6th, Josh Scott of Nashville's Grace Point Church washed images of the Capitol insurrection with a rising sense of alarm. The unmistakable Christian elements were hard to miss. Jesus saves, signs and flags, a tall wooden cross, the prayer thanking God for allowing the United States to be reborn. I was speechless and angry said Scott, who pastors a non-denominational 350-member church. And I thought, what is this thing on TV that is masquerading itself as somehow being connected to the tradition of Jesus, who gave his life non-violently? That thing, he came to realise, is Christian nationalism. And he began speaking about it from the pulpit. A loose consortium of Christian organizations whose members were just as scandalized as Scott have now produced a three-session adult study curriculum called Responding to Christian Nationalism for Pastors Who Want to Educate Church Members. Published by the Baptist Joint Committee for Religious Liberty and Vote Common Good, the curriculum defines Christian nationalism as a merging of Christianity with American identity. It's a poison infecting our theology and our faith itself, says Amanda Tyler, Executive Director of the Baptist Joint Committee, speaking of Christian nationalism. That's the concern that's driven a lot of the organising around it. Founded by the Southern Baptists in 1936, the Baptist Joint Committee is independent of that organisation but committed to protecting religious freedom and defending the separation of church and state. Two years ago, the Baptist Joint Committee launched by Christians Against Christian Nationalism, a statement signed by 22,000 Christians, mostly clergy, condemning Christian nationalism as a distortion of the gospel of Jesus and a threat to American democracy. Now it's joined up with Vote Common Good, a liberal-leaning evangelical group led by Doug Paget, Dedicated to mobilizing people of faith to vote beyond narrow Republican interests. The curriculum offers biblical passages to remind Christians that their ultimate loyalty should be to God and examines how Christian nationalism may overlap with racism and white supremacy. The resource features video clips from Michael Curry, presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church, and Elizabeth Eaton presiding bishop of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Tyler said she hoped it could be used as a basis for sermon series or for discussion groups now that many churches are meeting again in person. So far, 334 people have downloaded the curriculum and more are expected once it's fully publicised, said Tyler. That is very interesting. That is... Fantastic, actually. I'm so glad someone's drawn that line between uh,
3: the crazy fundamentalists and um, this politicisation of Christianity. It's yeah. It's, it's about time someone said it out loud.
1: <laughs> well, yes, I think a lot of us have been been uh, trying to say it, but I think it puts it very well because, <clears throat> as we all know, uh, extreme nationalism is is a very corrosive thing and leads to terrible, terrible, terrible wars and great violence. So, um, yeah, um, I thought that, that people would be very interested in that. And we have our own version of it in Australia, of course. Um, we've had the linking, for example, of the um, Roman Catholic Church with Irish nationalism which has caused a great deal of trouble in our political arena with the Labor Party. But um, what's going on in the United States is three times worse than that, I suspect. But um, let's have a bit of a break and come back for our great state school.
4: More than 70 innocent refugees are still being indefinitely detained in detention centres and secure hotels around Australia. Over recent months, many fellow detainees have been released onto bridging visas. Those remaining are desperate to know why they are still held. It is indefinite, it is cruel and it is unlawful. Every day a group of supporters protest this brutality outside the Park Hotel at 701 Swanson Street, Melbourne, where 11 men remain trapped and whose hopes are fading and whose mental health is declining. The aim of the protests is to raise awareness of the situation for the general public, but also to show support and solidarity to the men inside. It is also for the approximately 200 refugees still held offshore. Please come along any weeknight at 6pm or weekend at 3pm.
1: teachers have had their qualifications, their pay, their pensions and their working conditions
4: attacked relentlessly by this government.
1: I'm the
2: proud product of a government funded primary school education and of a government funded secondary school education.
4: Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public schools in the world.
1: It's still not good enough that kids with disability miss out.
6: Our education is not-for-profit! Our education
3: is not-for-profit! You're listening to The Dogs, the defence of government schools on 3CR.
2: Every week on The Dogs Program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school.
3: State schools are great. Schools. School of the week,
2: state school. School, school are
3: great of the school. week, great state schools. State, state schools. schools, school are great of the
4: schools. week, school for the week here on the Dogs Program.
5: And our great state school for this week is. Williamstown High School, which is a multi-campus school, and in the 1990s, the Williamstown community had to fight very hard indeed to prevent Kennett from closing this school, but it has survived and it has flourished. So, what the school has to says, has to say about itself um, from the Bayview campus, we have some um, writings. And the Bayview campus says, it is a purpose-built middle years facility that is situated on the waterfront adjacent to the Jawbone Marine Sanctuary. The spacious surroundings and proximity to the bay provides a special and unique home for our year seven to nine students to experience an environmentally rich curriculum. We have a wonderful platform to provide the depth and breadth of learning opportunities for every student. We pride ourselves as a school community that recognizes young people as individual learners and the need for an individualized educational experience that empowers achievement and growth for all. We have a dynamic learning culture that is driven by dedicated and professional teachers that is underpinned by best practised research, supported through consistent use of our instructional model, SIMPLE, and the use of data to inform our teaching. Our middle-years curriculum philosophy aims to captivate young minds while optimising diversity and the skilled fundamentals essential for lifelong learning. The depth and breadth of our core curriculum is matched impeccably by our wide ranging elective program at years eight and nine. Year nine students partake in the immersion program. This program provides a student centered, vibrant and innovative curriculum where students are taught to be 21st century thinkers. They develop creative solutions to local and global issues. And learn by experience, and cultivate individual growth through exploration, collaboration, and practical application.
3: That's the Bayview campus. What about the Pasco campus?
5: This for the seniors, is it? So they've got a
1: senior college as well as a junior college. Very interesting. Very mm-hmm.
5: good. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so small. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we now move on to the Pasco campus and the Pasco campus has to say about itself, is located adjacent to the Williamstown Beach Railway Station and caters for students in year 10, 11 and 12, so seniors. The Pasco campus has a long history as a secondary school in the city of Williamstown and more recently in the Hobson Bay City Council. The oldest building dates from 1867 and the most recent addition is their new theatre, opened in April 2017. This variety in architectural styles makes the campus visually interesting for students and allows us to create a mature learning environment that successfully meets the needs of our senior students. Our focus on learning is passionately directed towards successfully completing the Victorian Certificate of Education, VCE, and the Victorian Certificate of Applied Learning, vcal This provides pathways for our students into employment, apprenticeships, technical and further education, or in most cases, university. Our teachers specialize in their subject areas and follow a deliberate and targeted approach to promoting learning in their subjects for all students. They recognize that positive relationships with their students is vital for effective learning and encourage students to ask questions in and out of the classroom. Our teachers use real-time learning tools to provide relevant sources and collaborative spaces. We encourage our teachers to be examination assessors for the Victorian Curriculum and Assessment Authority in order to extend their field of expertise for their subject. Our teachers focus on the point of learning need for each student and develop a differentiated strategy to their teaching of every child. Our campus continues to ensure our students have a significant voice. Students lead our assemblies, organize musical performances at lunchtime, invite and listen to visiting speakers, organize and manage awareness weeks, and organize fundraising events for their chosen charities. Our year's 12 school captains represent the school at local events. They lead tours of the school for visiting dignities and are active in articulating the views of students to the campus principal. Uh, I just want to talk some um, facts and figures right now. The school has- They're really interesting. They're really interesting, They are, they they really are. Um, The school has 1,543 students. 122 teachers and their Ixia value is 1102, which is actually well above the average, which is very interesting.
1: The There's wealth- wealthy parents around, wealthy parents, uh, think that this is a good school.
5: I wonder why. How interesting, mm. Yeah. Mm. must be good. <laughs> okay. um, the, the wealthy have not abandoned this school at all. A a few more facts and figures 46% in the upper quartile income bracket and 30% in the second income quartile. 7% are in the lowest income bracket, and parents and fees have actually raised 2.64 million per year for this school on average. They're putting their
1: money where the school is, They they? they don't have to pay fees. But the parents are raising for this particular school 2.6 million. It's extraordinary.
5: extraordinary. It is. is. They obviously believe in this public school system and the way that the system is run, and the fact that these teachers um, and their organisation have really honed in on trying to educate their children with a personalised individual curriculum. It doesn't sound like they're trying to fit everyone into the same box. They just want everyone to do the best that they can do, and that is what education should be about. It's working,
1: but um, I think that 2.6 million is very, very interesting if you put it against the actual fees and private contributions
5: of Westbourne Grammar, which is nearby. Mm-hmm. Have you got those figures? They cost. $21,000 per student and the parent fees are less than Williamstown at 2400000 million.
1: Isn't that interesting? And it is. And has have got about 1,400 students.
5: Mm. And it costs the taxpayer $13,000 to give the students at Williamstown. Williamstown is $13,000. And how much is Westbourne per student? West, yeah, Westbourne is $21,000. And Williamstown is 13000 A bargain. For the excellent education that they are receiving, it is, I, I don't know why you would, you would choose a private school institution, honestly. Just think what
1: these figures mean. Westbourne Grammar, a private school, costs 21000 per pupil and the parents with their fees raise $2.4 million. Uh, there are... About 1,400 odd students in that school. Williamstown High, on the other hand, has about 1,500 students. Uh, The parents raise 2.6 million and it only costs 13,000 to educate a child at Williamstown High. This can only mean that the taxpayer dollars going to Westbourne Grammar exceed considerably those that are going to Williamstown High, and that is, in fact, the case. So uh, we are confronted with the fact that the private sector in Victoria, in many cases, is costing the taxpayer a great deal more than the public sector, and it's getting out of control. Williamstown High, how many go to
5: university? Um, 57% went to university last year and, and 18% went to TAFE and 9% to employment. But that is a very large figure of students who go straight into university.
1: Very interesting place, Williamstown. Very interesting indeed. And I think they um, they send a Labor Party. That's Kerner and Brax country, isn't it? Mm. So, yes, um, There'd be some pretty high mortgages out there, I would think too. <laughs> so the parents have worked out where the best education and value for, do, for dollar is, and they're prepared to put their money where their where their ideas are too. Mm. So,
3: um, <laughs> in its own description, where it talks about. Uh, personalizing it to the students that sort of reminds me of when we were talking to Michael Lawrence about what was so successful about teaching in Finland was having that freedom to let a child take a ball that they're interested in and run with it and and show their intelligence in their own ways it puts paid to the myth that all public schools are just these monoliths that are just uh, cookie cutters, and they're all just the same. It's like, well, no. When when teachers have that uh, freedom to let a child uh, learn and and show their own intelligence in their own ways, it's a sort of of course you're going to have more positive educational outcomes.
5: Yeah, yeah,
1: yes. So very interesting indeed. So thank you so much, Maddie. And-
3: And congratulations to Williamstown High. You are this week's Great State School of the Week.
1: Well, listeners, it's been a fairly full program and we hope that you stuck with us all this time, an hour. And uh, if you want to find out more about the dogs and where we stand for and uh, the information that we put up uh, then you can go to our website at www.adults.info. Thank you to Dale and Oliver and Maddie and Saul for bringing us this program today. But uh, it's bye for now.
6: I dreamed I saw Joe Hill last night Alive as you and me Says I, but Joe, here ten years dead I never died, says he I never died, says he In Salt Lake City, Joe, says I Am standing by my bed they framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I did. Says Joe, but I did. The copper bosses killed you, Joe. They shot you, Joe, says I. Takes more than guns to kill a man. Says Joe, I didn't die Says Joe, I didn't die And standing there as big as life Smiling with his eyes Says Joe, what they can never kill Went on to organize went on to organize from san diego up to maine in every mine and mill where workers strike and organize
0: it's there you'll
6: find your hill it's there I saw Joe here last night, alive as you and me, says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead, I never died, says he.